It's Wednesday, September 16th, 2015, and you're listening to episode 379 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is one hour and three minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Stan. This is Wayne. This is Brodor. All right. Uh, no announcements today. Chris is still doing his giveaways on Twitter. I'll link that again in the show notes in case you've not been paying attention. So that's still going on. I think he's given away two games so far, but there's still like five to go. So anyway, sure. Check that out. And outside of that, let's roll into it. All right. So I wanted to talk about something because there is something I have never understood. And that was play by post. I know we have a whole section of it for the forums. Yep. Other forums have it. People talk about it. It happens all the time. And I never understood how it mechanically works. So about a month ago, I guess at this point, one of the uh, the guys that I podcast on Funny Books with, he's uh, a Pollyon on our forums, shot me a message and said, hey, we have a play-by-post getting ready to start. Do you want to come join us? And it's uh, Michael Matthews, who we always talk about on the podcast, yep, is yeah, running this thing. So I jump over, I'm reading the description, and it's a uh, apocalypse world game, mm-hmm. and the setting is that the world is basically flooded, and people are living in the top few floors of New York City towers, and people are on boats and things around there. It's like, the setting sounded really interesting, so you know, I shot him a message, like, hey, I've never done anything like this before, I don't have any idea how play-by-post work, but can I jump into this? So I've started playing it, and I'm having a ball. I can only remember playing in one play-by-post in my life, and this would have been back in like the earlier mid-90s on a local bulletin board service. I did a play-by-post on, I can't even remember the name of the site. It's funny, though, because I can remember it was a Renegade site, not a World War IV site. For anyone <laughs> who remembers their BBS platforms. Oh, but it was a big shock here. It was a pure MechWarrior RP game. Like, there, there was no, <laughs> you couldn't do map combat in Battletech in a play-by-post but it was a pure MechWarrior RP game, and it didn't go on for terribly long, as best as I recall. But when I'm kind of with you, because play-by-posts are a somewhat strange animal to me, because the turn length is obviously not necessarily as clear because of the fact that one person posts and another posts, and you don't know how much the prior person is going to post or how much time it's going to cover. It gets more difficult to interrupt actions, yeah. to say, wait a minute, forget his next... 20 sentences after sentence one i have something i want to do here yep. initiative rounds for combat people post at different rates maybe one person posts daily one person posts weekly potentially yeah or somebody's on there from work and can post many times a day and so there's a lot of organizational things and i'm going to just start off right here and save you people some blog posts and forum responses and tell you I don't know much about play by post, so <laughs> and I'm only in my first game. Yes. So and as for D and D five E, it looks like we're gonna have somebody on the show who's significantly more knowledgeable than we are to salvage that. So uh, well I'm I'm here, I've played one game. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, that kind of makes you a subject matter expert within the three of us. <laughs> but that's not the person I'm talking about. I'm I've got an actual subject matter expert. But point is play by post. Not much experience. So Wayne, I am the student, you are the teacher. Talk to me about play-by-post. So some of the first things I found that were really kind of interesting was, and I don't know if every game does this, but using the things on the forums to your advantage, particularly the fonts. So there's one color for dialogue versus one color for out of character. So if you're going to do a role, you 
put it in red. If you're going to do dialogue, you put it in blue. Actions are typically seem to be in white. So when you look at it quickly, you can see what's going on. You can also see America. True. (laughs) Or France. Since this is in New York, it's America. Okay. So you can see pretty quickly what someone's doing if they're trying to talk in character, if they're doing actions. The out-of-character thread are for rules questions. So this is an Apocalypse World game. Haven't played that particular system. I played a ton of hacks of it, but not the base system. So it gets to a point where it's like, I want to do this, but I'm not sure which of the three moves this could potentially be. You go over, ask that, and out of character, the GM will come back and give you your, here's the one you want to do. Uh, in this case, he's letting us roll our own dice and just post it because we're all adults and he trusts us. But from what I understand, a lot of the games, sometimes the GM will roll all the dice. Sometimes it'll be an online roll that you post in. What's really interesting, though, is the amount of detail going into the world in the posts. What I find is the people I think that will really enjoy this the most are people that like to write. Because as you're describing things, you have paragraphs worth of details that you can put in there that, you know, just sitting around the table, you wouldn't necessarily describe everything around you and everything about you because you're doing things and things are moving faster. But someone that just likes to write a lot, these games can be a lot of fun as you throw details in, you throw suggestions. Uh, You mentioned turn orders. Yeah. In a normal game, we always say, do your best, don't split the party. In a play-by-post, splitting the party makes it easier. Yeah, because you have a smaller number of people to coordinate with. Mm -hmm. But it also seems like it helps because of the fact that things are done in disconnect. Because you're not waiting on the other person to proceed. I mean, that's the problem with splitting the parties, right? The GM now has to split their attention and half the table sitting there bored while the other half is getting attention. But you don't have that issue to play by post because it's done in disconnected form anyway, where people just kind of post at their own pace. So you're really not, per se, spending this huge amount of time bored waiting. Exactly. And when that's happening, someone that posts frequently throughout the day They can be going back and forth. And I find uh, there's a lot more dialogue going on. I mean, the type games I usually like to play in and run, there tends to not be frequent combat anyway. You know, it's something that comes up and it's fun when it does. But there tends to be a lot of dialogue between players and things anyway. And this works well for that. So how is Michael handling the timing? Like, for example, let's say he asks, what is everybody doing? Does he give you guys a set amount of time to respond to that before he moves the action forward? Does he just kind of keep going with it whenever he's on next? How's he doing that? So he has some of the the clocks because it's an Apocalypse World game set up. A lot of that hasn't really come in yet. It's just been continuing the action and moving things along. You know, he has once or twice said, I'm going to wait to give someone a chance to post again, give him, uh, let's say, 24 hours before he'll pop in and keep things going. So does he, as a game master, have to prod or goad the players into responding you know does he have to send them a private message hey something has occurred i really think you need to check the forums or is everyone really proactive at least half of us are really proactive the other ones they said there was a little delay but once they came back they were off for a weekend or something and but yeah everyone seems to just watch the thread and go in and check for it check for new posts and what i've been doing i said we we're all separate right now 
So I've been reading through everyone else's story, too, and their interactions with their characters. What do you do? I mean, for, for example, at a regular tabletop game, we would have what we refer to as the secret room, mm-hmm. where to prevent, you know, metagaming or people mm-hmm. using out-of-character knowledge, we would go into another place for a few minutes to resolve an issue or to take, you know, take care of one particular thing or another. In this situation, do you have the opportunity to do that? Can you send private messages in character to another player and include the game master, but exclude other people? Or yep. how does that work? We could, but it hasn't come up. And I think part of it is that just the type of GM he is, he tends to be a everything out in the open type I, and, of GM. And, and as I have aged and my gaming style has evolved, I have adopted that same mm-hmm. philosophy. Look, we're all adults and mm-hmm. the game is more interesting and entertaining for everyone if we all get to see yep. behind the scenes. And I always wondered about character sheets and things like that. Uh, so for this particular game, he just has set up a Google Docs and our character sheets are all out there on you know Google Drive. We can see each other's character sheets. We have... The details there, the maps of the world, if we need them, are all right posted in the thread. Hmm. So all the details are there. And there's reserved posts at the beginning of the threads for your characters. So as things change, you know, let's say you get XP or you level or something, you go back and edit your post in the placeholder. So it's always right there at the beginning where you have details. If you take damage or something, you can go back and edit that first post. Yes, yeah, yeah, I, I was. I have to admit, I was very titillated when you talked about the level of writing and detail that go into the characters and go into people's posts for their response and describing, you know, what you can do to describe the environment and describe mood. You know, the the showing, not telling. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, and it's something I said. I never understood the appeal of this until trying it, and I'm really enjoying it. And part of it is I like to write, and it gives me that chance to both game and write at the same time without running a game yeah that was going to be my next question is i don't really think we're prepared right here right now to do this as a show's main topic because there's a lot of things that go into play by post that i think we would need to prepare better at least prepare differently to tackle exactly and that's why i wanted to do this as a banter topic because i had the assumption that if i never understood how this works that a lot of other people don't as well Yes, I thought it would be good just to have a conversation just to explain my experience, at least, so other people can at least understand how it's working for me to know if it's something that might be interesting or not. Yeah, what you really take is at least that you're enjoying it and do intend to keep doing it. So I I think that right there is worth communicating. And yeah, there is a play-by-post section on the Fear the Boot site if you want to find other people to do play-by-posts with. And then also, obviously, it's not just our forums. You can find play-by-post stuff all over the Internet. I mean, just type that into Google. I'm sure you'll find plenty of places that have a play-by-post section. I don't know if I even would have tried it if it wasn't for the XCOM saga. Because I had so much fun on your Facebook making comments until you got me killed in your gameplay. (laughs) Well, you'll come back. I've decided I'm going to reset everyone's life status for the next installment when they come out with XCOM 2. I had a lot of fun doing that, and that's what I think opened me up to the idea of, let's give this a shot. So today's main topic, it's somewhat similar to a show we did quite some time ago, but we're going to revisit it because one, it's fun. Two, our experiences have changed. And three, I've got two hosts here that were not hosts at the time this was recorded. I've also come up with a new word. We got a lot of feedback about jobby from the last (laughs) one. (laughs) You mean hand jobby? Well, see, that's the thing is to me and to you, 
Jobby sounds like it's short for a hand job or, or whatever, but apparently it's also slang in certain places. Oh, I read that. Or poop. Yeah. And no, people, we're not talking about poop. So it, did I ever tell you, Ed, one of my previous jobs... This is a story about a hand job. I don't want to hear it. It is not. Okay, go on. One of my previous jobs, we used Blackberries. Blackberry is owned by a company called Rim. Yes. And there were Rim servers. I had a guy that was just obsessed with doing work on the RIM server because he wanted to set up scheduled tasks so he could say he was doing RIM jobs at work. <laughs> so what did you call it when a RIM job abended? Was that a fart? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what we're talking about today is not RIM jobs. It's not poop. It's not jobbies. That doesn't mean they won't be brought up. No. We're talking about FIHAGs. So FIHAG is an acronym <laughs> of I hate it gaming. <laughs> we were talking about some of our FIHAGs, right? The people that drive you nuts at gaming or at least have significant behaviors they engage in often enough that this is now what you associate them with. So these can, are, can I go first on these? My yes. own personal pet peeve. Go ahead, Wayne. Guy that challenges the GM on every rule or observation. I am lucky. I have never run for one of these. I have. But I have sat in enough game sessions watching this happen that as somebody who GMs as often as I do, it drives me crazy watching someone do it. I've had it all three ways. I've had the rules lawyer. I've had the setting lawyer. And I've also had, I don't know, the reality lawyer. Somebody yes. who's kind of like, that's not how physics works. That's not what happened in history. And it's like, you do realize this is make-believe. See, I don't game with that guy. That's it. That's my judgment. I don't game with that guy. I, you know what? I'm not saying your solution's wrong because it's not. It's God's work. But I'm just saying <laughs> that has to happen first before you realize it's that guy. Yeah, you're true. Right? You're, you're absolutely and, right. And what I find is more often than not, when I've seen this happen, the GM has generally been battered into submission. And I feel bad for him. That individual is precisely the reason it took me years and years and years to run a Star Wars game and to make sure that when I did run a Star Wars game, that that guy didn't play in my game. You know what? Now that you mention it, actually, Star Wars is the worst setting lawyering that I have got, followed close second by a couple different D&D settings, especially the people who have gone out and read those terrible novels. But they had some lawyering for me but i think star wars has topped them all yeah for sure in my experience you know what and that's actually where star trek helps there's enough internal inconsistency in star trek that you can just about say anything and there's some episode that backs it up (laughs) and because of its inherent absence of quality you can run a bad game (laughs) bring your hate mail (laughs) i haven't given you an email address yet yeah brodor you can't get them on the forums though it's brodor as his pm thing spelled b-r-o-l look at his show notes i put his name in the show notes every time he's on so brodor do you got a fire hag or do you want me to go well i i have many of them all right well give us one i I have many of the dice cheater Right. Yeah. The, the person, the person who has either their little tray that is on the shelf behind them or they have their book that's off to the side and they roll their dice and they're like, oh, well, this occurred. I don't know. I mean, you know, I've only seen that happen once personally. And I do believe it was an accident. 
because it was Chad, uh-huh. and he's rolling a dice, and he rolls through the night, and he's doing really well, really well, really well, and then about maybe halfway through the night, he picks it up and looks like, oh, this is my trick die. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has a six-sider that, to avoid being too obvious, doesn't have a six on it. All six sides say five. <laughs> wow. See, with the shop, we used to, we used to for a very short period of time, we carried polyhedral die sets that would have, you'd have two D20s in it, one regular D20, and then another D20 that didn't have a one, it had a second 20, right? And then you'd have, you know, hey, I've got four D6s. You know, one of them, though, is just two sixes, for example. But, or you at least to see this at the shop too, when you would have your organized gameplay, like your uh, Wednesday night D&D encounters or whatever, which would be the die scooper. The person who drops their D20 on the table calls a number, they may, they declare a result, and then, and then they yeah. scoop it up before anybody can see it. Yeah, yeah, you know, actually, I guess that's kind of a smart thing to do to put the same high number on opposing sides. Playing with enough dice, you've probably observed this, dice are all created, such that opposite sides, okay, so if you look at side A and then it's opposite side on any, and side A can be any side of a die, they always add up to one plus the total number of sides. Okay, so if you take a D6, a six-sided die, and you look at any two opposing sides, they will always add up to seven. The same thing's true on a D20. If you take a 20-sided die, the opposing sides always add up to 21. And so if you have a 20 on both sides, no one would ever be aware because the one would always be face down. So they would never notice that a one isn't there because it should be across from the 20 and thus on the table. Speaking of dice, I have a dice pet peeve on dice creation, the custom ones. Yeah. I love like our Fear the Boot dice, like these wonderful Battletech dice. I know. Wait, now you've seen these Battletech dice. You understand why I've been on a terror for a month These things are amazing. Yeah. These are great because they don't do my pet peeve. There are some of the custom dice that put the custom thing on the one. Oh, yeah, I do. That, that. drives me crazy because when I roll and I see something pop up, That's I want to be excited about the thing yeah, I see. Yeah, I'm with you, Wayne. Every time I see something special, I expect that to be the high side. Yeah, but I've seen it, it on the on one. The low side. When they put it on the low side, you roll it, you want to get excited because there's a picture, but it's a one. Yeah. That's a pet peeve. Here's the best cheating dice ever, though. There's a board game out there. The new version of it, the Americanized version of it, is called Formula D. But back in the day, it was Formula Day. Yes, I still hear it called Formula Day. So the dice for that game, it's a polyhedral set. So you have a D4, You're a D6, right. etc. But like the D20, it's just 11 and above. Yeah. Right? So we've got people playing with those. <laughs> wow. So yeah, to explain that, for us, it's a racing board game. It's in English appears to be Formula D, but it's a German game. And in German, when you go through the alphabet, it's, you know, the first four letters, A, B, say, Day. The the letter D is pronounced Day, which mm-hmm. is where it gets the name Formula Day. And the dice, you have like a four-sider, a six-sider, an eight-sider, a ten-sider, twelve-sider. They represent the different gears your car is in. But they don't, of course, want you to be in a high gear, let's say a D10, and roll a 1. Because that doesn't make a whole lot of sense for a professional racer. And so the numbers are all curved upward. So it's all higher numbers. So if you roll the D10, you can pretty much guarantee you'll get a better result than the D4. You're not going to roll a 1 or 2 because it's not even on there. So, But there is some randomness to it. It's not all 10s. Right. It, it's not. But you have hedged your bets. Oh, yes. You have definitely curved the numbers <laughs> upward. 
I yeah. just don't get that mindset. I mean, I roll horribly normally, so I I get being frustrated with dice rolls, but it actually is so important to you that you're going to cheat. So here's here is dude, my we used to play with a dude who cheated all the time. Uh, he uh, most of our die rolling rules that we use within our group, which you may still be seeing to this day, came because this guy would not stop freaking cheating at every game. So I think this is what it boils down to. We are engaged in a hobby where we are escaping the reality of our lives, right? And in that escape, we want to be significant and we want to be successful and we want to have our victories. Yes. And so the way to control that victory is to be dishonest about it. Well, (laughs) broadly speaking, the sales pitch of role-playing games typically does not go like this. I'm really tired of the failure and frustration of my office life. You know what I'd really like to do? Fail and be frustrated in the fantasy world. <laughs> I'm not, I get it. There are people out there. I know. I Yes, John, you like failure. I get it. I'm just saying that's not the average person. You know, along the uh, the dice annoyances is you actually refer to it as a, a term because it happens so often of mech bowling. Oh, yes. The, uh, the people that roll dice and the moment it hits the table, it'll go everywhere but more than likely where it's going to go is right onto the mat to knock over one of the minis yeah and what's frustrating is that my wife is one of the worst of these that i know <laughs> yeah the people who seem to confuse D with crossbows and catapults <laughs> for anyone that remembers that game oh yeah where every time they roll the dice they can't be gentle. They can't roll close to them. They, they won't stay on the table. They have to roll hard, and they have to throw it across the table. If you're lucky, it stays on the table. If you're not lucky, it goes yeah. off the table, and it's taken out at least three minis on the way through. And then there's the tiny dice people, where they've got the tiny little dice that you I couldn't read right now if I was holding it in the palm of my hand by the microphone. But they're at the <laughs> other end of the table from me, rolling these tiny little dice. How the hell am I supposed to know Dude, what they're rolling? Okay, we have banned dice. <laughs> we had a guy who... Okay, th- for you people in Europe, this is some stupid American thing that I don't understand any more than you do, where people in America will figure out vaguely what their lineage is and then identify themselves by that European country. So you can get someone whose family's been here for six generations. They've never left American soil, but they will identify themselves as Irish. We had a guy in our group who that was his story. Okay, he had a last name that was actually an anglicizing. It was not an original Irish name, but it was derived from an Irish name. And he was just all hooked up on his, quote unquote, Irish identity. And he insisted on going out and getting these ridiculous dice that he called the Blarney dice. Because they had these, quote unquote, Irish colors, whatever that means. You could not read these things. I mean, it was seriously like, as a kid, do you remember those things they used to put out where you like have something written on like, the Transformer stat cards had these. Where they'd have something written on there but they'd have all these multicolored specks all over it, and you have to put, like, a filter over like it. A that piece would, of mylar yeah. or something yeah. or other, yeah. That, that would block all the colors but one, and then you could see what was written under. That's what these dice were like. <laughs> I mean, you there was no reading these damn things unless you stopped for a minute to study them. And I have dice like that in my collection of dice, and when I go through my dice bag, the first thing I do when I see those is set them aside so when I get the dice I want out, they can go right back in the bag and never be used. Because it frustrates me rolling something yeah, like that. Yeah, well, you know, and Wayne, with you, it wouldn't be that big an issue. You said earlier, 
Chad was cheating by accident. I completely believe that. Yeah. Chad's not a cheater. He never, he didn't have to tell us. Yeah. You're not a cheater. This guy was a cheater. So when he comes to the table with dice, nobody can read. His intentions are rather transparent. The ones I have a hard time reading are the clear ones. The people that will have the clear dice, the number will be in a color, but it'll be like a silver or something that you can't see. I have a guy, the one guy who who basically had special dispensation from my rule of, I must be able to read your dice from the table, wherever you're sitting and rolling. As the game master, I need to be able to properly identify the result. But this guy who I, one of my favorite people I've ever game with, Lewis Murphy, he could sit at the other end of the table and have the tiniest little dice, but he had Wayne style luck. I mean, he failed consistently mm-hmm. constantly and so i was like whatever lewis i don't care i mean in fact, in fact if you were to lie to me about that result, you just go right ahead uh, you're not getting anything yeah. special you're just cheating yeah. up to normal yeah. <laughs> you're that, cheating your way to average you know what's great about him i know we're talking about people people that we didn't like to game with or personality styles we didn't like to game with but that guy came to gaming with the wonderment of a child. And I don't mean that to be denigrating. What I mean is, is that he came with this fascination about, I mean, everything that occurred was amazing. Like there's a blacksmith in town. That's so cool. That guy makes stuff out of metal. It's amazing. But he just, he was so happy to be immersed in the world that everything was magic to him. And I got to tell you, I'm jealous that I don't have that. I remember when I was like that with gaming. When I think back about uh, my gaming as a player versus a GM, first game I show up with a printed out version of the rules and a binder and I'm all set. Mind you, this is Dan Skies of Glass game. So I don't even realize that a lot of what I printed out isn't actually the rules. I'm reading through it's like, this is really confusing. Why is it talking about Shadowrun in the middle of this? Because I grabbed all of the resources and <laughs> But I had never gamed. I didn't know. I still tried to read it and make sense of it. And then I had notebooks, and I was taking notes on every single session, and things would be said, and I would mark notes down. That lasted about a game and a half. (laughs) Didn't make it past the next campaign before I stopped doing that. All right, who's your high hag? Fi hag. Fi hag. (laughs) You know we're getting hate mail because that sounds like something derogatory. It does, but it's not. So it's not my problem. Somebody needs to clean their freaking ears. If you're hearing impaired, then my apologies. But all right, so my Did first. I tell you, I once sold two CDs to a deaf person. No. Yeah, it was back when I was working at Six Flags and I was uh, working at a concert. And uh, what she would do is she would just have the music going and feel the vibrations. That's I've cool. heard that. And she and I actually it was very interesting. But yeah, I sold two CDs to a deaf person. Yeah, I've heard that before. Uh, where actually I heard it was there was a, a 4chan prank where apparently Taylor Swift was having some kind of a contest where you could like vote for a school and then she would go to a concert at that school. And so 4chan did a, they vote bombed it to get her to go to a school, school for the deaf. deaf. <laughs> and the school for the deaf won. And, you know, I don't know. I was pretty mixed to severe feelings about this, but she then refused to do it. Um, and she sent them something else. She made some kind of a donation to the school, but she refused to do it. But the teachers, they were saying, look, not only would that be really special for these kids to get to, you know, experience you coming to their school. But what they said is they said, if you play the music, we have them hold a balloon 
and apparently they can feel the vibrations in the balloon and can still intuit some sense of the music out of those vibrations. Yeah, so there's a great gaming idea in this. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing. You're just kind of exploring those yeah. other ways to do senses. Yeah, that's a great gaming idea. I mean, well, it's a gaming story. I won't bore you guys with okay. it. I'll tell you off the mics. So mine is somebody who gets into a relationship, significant other uh. here. And either the significant other is a total ball and chain, or they're not. And this is one I've actually experienced more often. The significant other is not a ball and chain, but that person is just one of those people where they just derive so much context from their relationship that they whip themselves, that they become like this extension of their significant other by their own choice. Now, that sounds like a social issue outside of gaming, but it inevitably affects gaming because suddenly... They have to keep cutting attendance short. They're getting their lay every 15 minutes. Not exaggerating here too much. In one case, they had to go make a phone call and check in with honey buns or whatever. I bet in this day and age, that's translated to texts. I bet nowadays people are doing constant texting. Yeah, I don't think it would really help a whole lot because if you're doing infrequent texting, whatever. Mm -hmm. But if you're carrying on a conversation in text, especially if the other person is expecting you to respond pretty quickly. And I'm on the wrong side of generations for this. People within my generation on up, you send a text message, 30 minutes, a day goes by, and the response comes. But man, these people who are younger than we are, where they just sit there and they just lightning fast, text each other in real time. I mean, like it was a a straight IM conversation or something. I mean, that's a very different sort of thing. And I could see that messing up the game just as much as a phone call. But it's like, goodness gracious, I get it. Relationships are important and they affect your life. But if you cannot be your own person for a two, four, five-hour period, maybe gaming is not for you. And in fact, actually, you should probably see a counselor because something about this relationship is unhealthy. Well, but And add to the, the phone call part of it. The uh, There's a phrase that I've come to, uh, to hear a lot. It's, go ahead without me. Yeah. Do you not understand what gaming is? How am I supposed to go ahead without you? If the I'm- person that's stepping away is then missing what's happened... So when they come back, they won't know what's happened. Yeah, and then you get to re-explain it. Yeah, or they'll be they'll come back and jump right in, not realizing what's just happened. Or you'll need their input. Yeah. And they won't be there for it. Personally, I will just pause. I don't want to just keep going. I'm the exact same way. And one of the ways I got around this with a prior group was he actually went around the person to the significant other. And said, look, totally cool you guys want to talk. We're not trying to get in the way of that, whatever. But would it be all right with you? And not because you per se have a problem with this, but because he's doing this to himself. Can you please tell him that it's okay if he waits to call you until we take a break? And then we'll go ahead and organize the game such that we have a three to five minute break, like once an hour. So he can check in with you, whatever it is he does. And she actually had to come back at him and say, stop treating your friends this way. Wow. (laughs) So the fifth edition game that I started recently exists because one of my older friends, one of the guys who used to be part of associated with a group of guys who paid me for gaming, he wanted to get the band back together. And so it'd been years since we'd gamed and we've had some really great experiences together and he wanted to, let's get something together. It'll be great. Blah, 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 blah. So this conversation happens at one of my friend's 
weddings, wedding receptions, who's playing in the game currently. And once the second friend, the originator of the D&D game idea, once he got married, things kind of went sideways for him. And we elected somebody in the group to act as group representative and basically said, look, it's very clear that you're not going to be dedicated to this game and there will be a seat available for you in the future. But right now it's obvious that you can't dedicate to it. And for me, that's probably my chief pet peeve is the person that can't show up and can't show up on time. And I know that that makes me sound like the gaming police, but I don't care. I am the gaming police. If you're going to participate, you need to be there and you need to be there on time and you need to be there ready to play. Did you ever try, and this is something I've actually had some success with, giving them an NPC? For example, let's just use a simple D&D thing. There's some kind of a hireling with the party or one of the town guards that the king sends with them or something like that. And you play the character most of the time or they're simply not there. They're watching the wagons or whatever. But when this person shows up, it's like, okay, the guy comes walking over and now suddenly you're with the group. And then when they take off again and the character's there. But there's no plot points that center around the character. They're oftentimes either out of action or an NPC. But when that guy decides to make a cameo, you can just hand that character to them. And I have not tried that because I went, I go with my previous philosophy of I don't game with that guy. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> you can't dedicate to the game. That's fine. No hard feelings. I right. still love you. We'll still hang out. We'll still go do stuff. We just won't game together. And, and you know what? I can be on the opposite end of that. If I am not up to snuff, that is okay. You know, I think I would try, especially if it's something where for this particular time, let's say you've gamed with someone for a long time and you know that for the next month or two months, they have a lot going on. Let's say they're getting ready to get married or, you know, they have weddings in the family they know they have to go through and you know that they're going to be missing some. I might try something like that. Or things are really hectic at work. They have to prepare for some big certification or something crazy like that. And you know that they may not be able to make it regularly. I think that'd be a good idea for something like that, where they're normally a very invested and reliable person. And you don't want to just completely take their release away from them. Right. But for a period of time, they're going to be less than available. And I think that's good advice. In the past, what I have done in that situation is just pause the game or whoever's game who's ever running the campaign at the time will pause that game and do something light in the interim but i think the npc concept is a good idea as well because in case they can occasionally hey guys i can show up this session yeah can we work we in and we've done that but not to the degree that you're suggesting i think it's a good idea yeah, and we talked about it for a while with uh john years ago when he was uh off at college yeah you know having him have a character that if he's in town, he can come and join us. Because, again, in that case, it's not a dedication. It's a he's out of town. Instead of giving him a random NPC to join, here's your character that'll be your random NPC. Right. Well, and how fun is that, too, is that, you know, we're we're excited that our friend John showed up and he gets to play in the game. And we have this great bard who everybody loves that's super exciting. And we, in character, are excited to see this bard come and sing our praises. <laughs> literally. Literally. Yes, John, I chose Bard deliberately. Oh, okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure which word the literally was meant to go with. <laughs> no, the Bard literally sings our praises. I, I didn't know it was that or the cum part. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, so what's the next fire hack? Well, 
No, so here's the thing. My chief dice cheater example yeah. was in a relationship with another one of the gamers in the group, right? And they had some pretty interesting codependency going on. Another guy who I no longer game with for different reasons was the one who blew up and essentially was the catalyst in the cheating girl no longer games with us. Freaking next week, boyfriend shows up to the game. <laughs> It was so cool, right? And just not a word about it. We just went on like like nothing had occurred. And then when he left, we were like, oh, my God, he showed up. We kicked his girlfriend out of the group and he came back. That's amazing. Um, which, uh, But the other guy I don't game with who is probably the funniest person that I've ever known in my circle of friends, but he just couldn't be sober for a game. He just couldn't do it, right? I mean, he was he was either he was, was this either, a life problem? Is he like drunk all the time, or uh, is he just drunk at all the games? I, you know, I, it's not my place to pass judgment and throw stones about people who drink too much. But <laughs> but yeah, he would he would be high a lot, or he would be drunk a lot, and and what it would do is it would detract from the game. If you want to show up to the game and you want to have a couple of beers or you want to do something in your car that may be legal in a couple of states, that's fine by me as long as your level of intoxication is not detracting from the game. Unfortunately for him, his level of intoxication and his need for chaos, which is a whole different subset of FIHAG or whatever we're calling it, uh, <laughs> You, you just got to be sober, right? You got to be sober enough to be able to participate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and even on the side of that, cause I've, I've experienced that with people as well. And it is something that frustrates me, but I know someone that it's not bad when they're, when they're drunk, they're fine. Once they're done with that though, they get into the sleepy phase. Oh yeah. And he, he would, this guy would, he would fall asleep a lot at games. Like, like, and, and the question becomes, is that, are we going to wake him up or are we just going to power through? My choice is go the route of take interesting photos. Oh yeah. But yeah, that's the thing. Is it before long sitting in the, a chair, just nodding and gone. It's like, you, you do go into that. Do I, Shift all focus away from this person? Do I wake them up? Do I even try? But then, when he was sober, he just was constant chaos, right? He was like, I mean, it was like his objective was, where's the monkey wrench and where's the gear that I throw it into? And that was his level of participation, even when he was sober enough to play. And it just got to the point where we don't game with that guy anymore. And this is in my younger days, so we did not handle people's expulsion from the group well. We have the reverse problem. When I say we, I guess I mean me and the people I've gamed with over the years, which is a somewhat amorphous group of people. Where it's always been everyone's too much of a wuss about confronting people. Oh, yeah. yeah. Not that everyone's too harsh about it. It's very rare. We have had some confrontations. Very rare it's too harsh. Usually it's everyone's too much of a wuss about it. But I certainly have given some people like that where that's all they wanted out of the game was chaos. Mm -hmm. They weren't per se just going off the script. It wasn't like I have these rails and they've gone off the rails. It wasn't like their character's obvious actions were in a different direction. That was the objective. Right. Was the game itself was not entertainment. It was the metagame of flipping the sandbox that was the game to them. That was their entertainment. Yeah. So, I mean, I, and I'm with you. Going off the rails, I mean, hell, 
as I've matured in my gaming style, I try to just not have rails, right? But the, hey, I'm going to pull out my hand crossbow and shoot this NPC in the face because I think it will be fun and entertaining for me and only me. That's the kind of insanity that we would deal with. And yeah, I don't game with that guy anymore. Am I the only person who does tabletop gaming that hates voices like i will occasionally adopt an affectation with my voice i try to change my posture i try to convey that this is the npc that is talking versus that npc but like full turn it to 11 douchebag i'm a gypsy voice stuff i just can't take but i am a gypsy i used to game with a guy boyfriend of cheater dice girl right yeah like he was like he was the worst accent person and they all sort of sounded the same and we were playing this vampire game and long story short which i know for you at home you're already bored but anytime someone says but i am a gypsy (laughs) it's us making fun of the voice of that particular person but i am a gypsy that in but you do not have second edition you know because my cheated dice results are clearly okay in second edition of the game that we're playing that you only have first but, you know, I find I do voices and I don't even intend to do them sometimes as a GM, but I don't do it as a player because I want consistency in that character. And if I start with it, that means I'm going to have to keep doing it and remember to do it. It's just not worth the effort. I sure as hell don't do voices often. As a GM, I try to change it up a little bit. As a player, like I don't think apart from a very small number of my PCs, any of them have ever had different voices from mine. It doesn't bother me, I guess. The one time I saw you do it, you end up having like three player characters that all have their own unique voices. Yeah, well. And it was epic. When Gnarl was one step shy of puppetry, if I'd had Gnoll puppets, there probably would have been puppetry. (laughs) But But it wasn't just Gnarl. He had other Gnolls, and they all had their own voice that was a Gnoll voice, but was not Gnarl's voice. There was a distinction between each Gnoll. Maybe the issue is, is that. I think the problem is he sucked. (laughs) <laughs> yes, yeah. that's exactly what I was just going to say. Because even when the gore game I ran at, at Fear the Con 8, you had an affectation for for Jizmac that was, you know, kind of gruff and doggy, and it was really good. I guess to illustrate the point further, in my 5th edition game, one of my players kind of has this drunk Jack Sparrow thing going on with his voice, and it doesn't offend me as much, because it's, it's subtle, right? But I, I don't know. I guess I guess that's yeah, it. Maybe there's a broader point here. Of It sucks to game with people who don't realize what they're terrible at. Well, and also the voices will bother me if it's a serious game and the, the player comes with the voice. But the versus I'm a, a, I'm a jeep. <laughs> yeah, if it's a comedic game, I want all the terrible voices and it can be fun. But if it's meant to be a serious game and they come in with the uh, I'm a gypsy. <laughs> Well, especially if they're not good at it. For example, I was running a D&D game, and Mikey Mason was in town for a weekend, and he joined the game, and he took on an NPC, a major NPC. I gave him control of it, and basically said, I'll let you develop this guy however you want. I'm not going to try and tell you this is exactly what he's like. Just here's a few pointers. He ended up giving the guy a distinct accent, a distinct voice, but you know what? Mikey can do that. That's within his wheelhouse. He's good at that. And so it worked and it was fine. And even it was a serious game, but it added to the game. It gave the character character because it wasn't some. Did I ever tell you about the uh, Ghosts of Rainsboro game I played with him? 
I don't think so, no. So for Halloween one year, the guys that I do uh, Knights of Rainsboro with, we did a special Halloween game that month, and we brought in Mikey with us. So it was a Skype game. He's playing with us. Yeah. I do a lot of jokes about one guy's name's Paul. I do a lot of jokes about Paul's mom. Uh, yeah, talk from your... I like mom jokes. So Mikey makes a character who has a ghost dog that he names Mon Paul. <laughs> and we go through this game and we get to the point where he's telling the story of it and it apparently roughly translates into paul's mom and he has this epic tale of how he named the dog after this person named paul and the whole character builds up to this setup of this miraculous story that is one big paul's mom joke <laughs> At that point, it's like, Mikey, you you win. <laughs> I don't know you well, can win explain. a game, All but right. you won. Let me explain something. So, some years back, there was this big hullabaloo in the news because Steve Irwin was out messing around with crocodiles and all that silliness he does. At the time he was doing it, had a baby in his arms. And people were all, you know, how could you do this around a crocodile and blah, blah, blah. And... I looked at it the same way I look at what you're talking about with Mikey. If I walked in on 99 point some odd percent of the population and they had somebody's head cracked open and were in there with a knife, I would either shoot them or call the police. But if I walk in on a brain surgeon doing that, I have a whole different set of presuppositions because they are a freaking brain surgeon. When Steve Irwin was out there, with that baby and the crocodile, if an average person did that, they're an irresponsible idiot. But this is what the guy does. He gets crocodiles the way the brain surgeon gets surgery. That baby's probably as safe in his arms as it would be anywhere else on Earth. Safer than in my house. <laughs> and Wayne, the same thing's true of Mikey. Mikey is a professional. Mikey can attempt things the rest of us should not attempt at home with acting and comedy because he's a professional, because he can be around a crocodile or have his hands in somebody's brain and not have a horrific ending to it. I am Gypsy. <laughs> cannot do that. Okay. I am a Jeeves. This would be the equivalent of a proctologist taking a baby to a crocodile. <laughs> The none of the expertises line up here, right? This is a terror. This person's not qualified to do it, and therefore they shouldn't attempt it. We talk a lot on this podcast about know your group of good heavens, people. Know yourself. It's okay to be terrible at something. So, all right. So then, how do you know what you're not good at? All right. So, it, <laughs> it strikes me that most people, if they slow down and think about it, can probably figure it out. <laughs> In fact, most of the people out there that need to hear it from me are not the people who think they're great and they suck. It's people who think they're suck and actually have some talent. They've just learned enough to realize what they don't know and they're intimidated, right? The whole imposter syndrome thing. But these people that get out there and they can't do something, but they think they can, I don't know. I mean, if you're that far gone, I'm not sure anything I say would wake you up to it anyway. If you can't tell by looking at the people around you and how they're reacting, if you can't get that sense on your own if you can't be like, huh, I know there's plenty of things I can't do, right? They end poorly. I'm not going to attempt to do gymnastics. I just hurt myself and possibly damage a part of the house. Won't do it. 
drive in the car. I can attempt to do an accent, realize I'm terrible at it. The only accent I can do, I can only really do two. I can do an outstate Missouri accent because I've been exposed to them all my life. And I can do a southern accent because I grew up with a dad from the south. And so these accents are kind of part of my repertoire. You do a pretty mean no. I, I can do a great no. I can kind of maybe do a sort of cartoony German. That's about the extent of it. I can't do it Australian or British person or a French person. It's, you know what? I don't freaking attempt it. Try it in the car. It's like singing. Try it in the car. Realize you're terrible and stop doing it. <laughs> yeah. I've As I've tried in the past accents, I always find one of them will blend into something else like i'll be going for uh middle east and end up scottish it's like you know what no i'm stopping this is it no you're just touring the world uh, so before but now i'm gypsy yeah, but i am a gypsy we were talking about electronics and how you don't bring electronics to game because it messes game now the phone the laptop, the iPad. Like, I want to get a jammer for my house so you yeah, can't I tried. access the internet. You can't. <laughs> I tried right before, this was years ago, right before they banned uh, cellular jammers. Wow. You used to be able to get them for about 200 bucks. And the same guy who was always on the phone with his significant other, I was like, I'm getting a jammer. And they were like 200, 250 bucks. And I kind of hemmed and hawed, and then they were made illegal. Now you can't get them anymore. In fact, oh, no, for people here, this is actually a gaming-related thing. If you're ever at a convention, a whole bunch of con centers and convention groups just got nailed by the uh, FCC over this. Really? If you are at a convention and you try to set up a Wi-Fi hotspot using your phone, you try to you know, set up your phone to be an right. AP, an access point, and they've got something in there that's jamming that, or... They are jamming your ability to pick up outside Wi-Fi signals, which apparently has been going on a lot at conventions because the idea is they want you to pay absurd amounts, like literally 80 bucks for a day of Wi-Fi. That is illegal. And the FCC just nailed some people to the wall for doing this. A bunch of major conventions and convention centers for doing this. Yeah, that's not legal. And don't if you're at a convention where that's occurring, you can put in a complaint with the FCC and they will do something about it. That's at least if you're in the US, obviously. But that is not legal. They cannot do that. Yeah, I know you hit on one of Chad's big pet peeves is the phones and electronics out of the at a game. He has the pet peeve of it in social situations and at restaurants and things too, which I don't have the same pet peeve for restaurants because I don't want to talk at a restaurant typically. You know, there are exceptions where a conversation will be going and it's good, but I'm a less outgoing person than Chad. I'll put sure. it that way. Yeah, you know, I am too. And it doesn't bother me so much at a restaurant as long as they are multitasking enough that they can talk to me. But I will say at a game, it does get to me if you look out there and you have multiple people on a phone playing a game. Yeah. That's the big, biggest pet peeve, yeah. I think. Well, actually, the biggest pet peeve is watching Doctor Who porn. But outside of that, <laughs> games are the big. Is this a Chad peeve. story or a Pat story? Pat story. Okay. Uh, so outside of that, games are the big pet peeve. If, if you you're said, there at a game and you're playing a game on your phone, maybe I'm failing here. I don't know. You know, that's a huge pet peeve of mine is fuckers that won't give the game a chance. And I've had this happen a few times now. I'm not talking about situations where I run the game and it's not up to snuff. It's not what they expected. I'm not conducting it right. They've gotten frustrated by something I did. They're not happy with their character. I get it. These things happen. That's not what I'm talking about. But they happen after the game's going. Exactly. I'm talking about the people where from straight out of the gate, 
They're checked out. They're doing something else. They're not even giving this a fair chance. It's like walking into a movie, and as soon as the like opening song starts playing, you're like, wow, this movie blows. <laughs> and you just like put on sunglasses and headphones and go to sleep. I, have I don't sell that guy a ticket. <laughs> You've got the right idea. But, man, I've had this happen to me. Yeah, I have I can... played in campaigns where I sat down, and I had zero interest in the concept. And you know what I did? I focused on my character. You and least... I made that character fun. Man, you try. I can accept it. Once again, if you walk into my game, you play it, and you're not liking it, I can accept yeah. that. People have different tastes. I don't run pure gold. I get mm-hmm. that. Man, I Alec can tell a story because I'm not going to mention names here. But I was running a game, and this has got to be one of the worst examples of this. I was trying to run a game. It was an online game, and it only lasted one session because throughout the entire top of the game, I had two people trying to RP, one who just playing wasn't really doing anything, one who would just sit there playing with the gaming tool, so just like keep changing his chat handle to different obscene and funny names like out of the back of like an X-rated Boys Life magazine. Or I'm not sure what it was. It's just these increasingly obscene... Jared Fogel endorsed the... <laughs> no, I don't mean like that. But you know, they said, I think it was in Boys Magazine where, uh, where they used to have uh, like, you know, what do you call... I don't even remember what... They, they would have names that were puns. It was like that, except they were all obscene. You know, I enjoy... Was, oh, hold on. <laughs> Wayne, I am I am building up. All right. All right, this is my Hellfire and Brimstone part, and I have not gotten to hell yet. <laughs> One motherfucker not only was not paying attention, not only did not respond when I directly addressed him, not only was not participating, he was in the process of getting a f***ing blowjob. Literally. Throughout the game. He was having the most fun of anyone in that game. I'm sure he was. You know what? Good for him. Like in the room? Yes. It was a Skype. It was a Skype game. He just said it was a Skype game. It was was a remote play game. But you know what? Marital bliss. I'm not upset with him for that part. But come on. You hit on one of my pet peeves for online games. I love online games. I don't like the tools and the maps and all of that. Because you always have that person that is just around with the map yes and you're gonna have to bleep it i don't think you've ever had to bleep me before but that may be a first but yeah that is just such a big pet peeve because you're trying to play the gm's trying to do something and somebody is just drawing stuff on the map or moving stuff around and it will be one guy that does it every time i had the same problem on a dry erase map i used to play a lot of games using a dry erase map and I ended up having to take all the markers away because I'd go to draw a terrain or something. I'd just put the marker down and continue the game. And two people in particular would pick them up and they just couldn't help themselves from doodling. And pretty soon my map has become a three foot by five foot or whatever, however big it was, mural of just all kinds of doodles and patterns. And no. No, no. The the tabletop is sacred. You don't go dicking around with it. You leave it alone. You don't go messing with the figs and moving terrain and drawing on it. Here's something that my players hate, that I game master with a pistol. They don't like the fact that behind my GM screen, there's a gun, and when they're doing something inappropriate, I brandish it. That's not true, by the way. I would hope not. But, but... Damn, I'm tempted. <laughs> no, that's that's crazy. I don't don't leave it the hell alone. No, I don't game with that guy. <laughs> you know, and I'm honestly, I'm getting to this point, right? 
there is somewhere within the past few years that my balls dropped. And I kind of at this point, I'm not going to put up with a lot of the things that I used to. And I've been withdrawing from associating or at least associating as much with some people that I used to over this exact kind of thing. Cause it's like, man, if you cannot respect, I'm not asking for perfection. I'm not asking for me to like everything you're doing or you to like everything I'm doing. Obviously uh, you get all the caveats, you get all the disclaimers. I mean, we've been doing this for 10 years. If you don't get the context here, I'm not sure I can help you. But the point is, if you just have no interest in doing this, if you're not going to give me a break, give me a chance, if you're not going to try, if you're not going to make a good faith effort, if you can't understand the basic social contract of hanging out with another group of people to do a specific thing, it's not like we got here to BS and a game broke out. This is what we came here to do. Then I'm not going to deal with it anymore. I'm not standing over at your bookshelf looking through Battletech books <laughs> while yeah. we have this podcast. I don't have my hands under the table messing with whatever this machine is, diddling <laughs> with knobs. No, because it's inappropriate. It's disrespectful. It would yeah. also mess up the recording if you started <laughs> pulling, because you're on the cord side, so you'd just be unplugging mics. Now, in fairness, I might be putting the Care Bears in inappropriate sexual positions while recording the podcast, but fiddling, that's just something to do with my hands. Idle fiddling has never bothered me. You want to pick up that ogre miniature because it's badass looking and you want to examine it? Yeah. That's one thing. I almost always am flipping a pen through my fingers, but it's idle fiddling. It's not taking up my attention. I don't even realize I'm doing it. The idle the thing, one of the, uh, I think the best examples of the idle thing is you know my wife i talked about she has all her crochet stuff yeah she will crochet at gaming no gm has ever minded it because it is all just instinct at this point doesn't take any attention it's idle doing it and it's because it's not playing on the phone it's not looking at things and it doesn't draw attention because it is just something to do idle with hands if she's doing that she's not fiddling with dice or doing something louder it's a repetitive motion and Low-level counting. Exactly. That's all it is. I mean, I know it's because while Carla does knitting, I think Sarah does crochet, right? Yeah, Sarah's crochet. Sarah's crochet, which is one needle. Carla does knitting, which is two needles. But nonetheless, I can be sitting there playing a video game, and I've mentioned on the show many times, Carla likes watching me play video games that have a strong story, and she can sit there and knit, and she's making pretty unusual and complex stuff, and yet she can perfectly follow the plot of the game, because... and that's something I have to give Sarah credit for, because I did point out some of her bad gaming habits earlier of dice bowling and such. Before she ever did it, she asks each GM, if someone new is GM a game, she will ask them beforehand, is it okay with you if I bring my crochet and crochet? And everyone has always said, not a problem at all. We've seen you do it. It is all basically automatic. Yeah, it's, it's no different than me holding a pen and like doodling on paper. And I don't mean like drawing. I just mean like, you know, a thing you do where you just start making mm-hmm. lines and shapes you don't even really aren't you don't have any in design in mind i fear the con this year i was playing a game and uh, the person next to me was uh doing the doodling and when she was done she held it up and it was one of the ca- players characters and we're all like can you draw my character next <laughs> that's cool and it was uh that was her you know what that is though? it's in the background something it wasn't distracting her at all and i have at home the uh the drawing still and it's something I'm proud of. It's a picture of my character that was drawn at the table. Yeah, and you know what else that is? That's on topic. Yeah. You have to be paying attention to know what somebody else's character looks like. It does not demonstrate you're off topic. That's related to the game. Unlike getting blown. Here's another <laughs> one. Be responsible for your own shit. 
I have an entire multiverse and meta plot and all of these NPCs and all of this information. The player can't remember their character sheet. Hey, Mike, what does this feat do? Dude, the book is right there. You have four feet. Like, yeah, look, <laughs> look it up yourself. Yeah, you have uh, four of them. You don't know what they do. I can't even get that far a lot of times. I can't tell you. And this is one of the great things about gaming online is people forget their damn character sheet. I'm the same way as you. It's like I bring in all this material. You can't remember one damn piece of paper. And if you can't, you know what? If you're prone to that, can you at least leave it at the place where we game? Give it to me. I'll put it in with the rest yeah. of the gaming stuff. Broder, the feats really bother me in some of these games because of you know how complicated they get. So what I do as a player that I wish more players would do, I have a cheat sheet for my character. It is the details of what the feats do. It is the wording of the spells. I don't need to use it for every single interaction. I know what a fireball does, but yeah. maybe I need to know minutia of what it does. And I have a cheat sheet ready to go. Yeah, that I and you customize know for every character in a game that has things like that, particularly a D and D, a Pathfinder, something where you may need the wording of it. And D and D and Pathfinder both. I have seen tons of online tools for putting that together, where you can say these are my feet, these are my spells, and it will put it together for you. If you're playing a game that's not quite so ubiquitous, you're still talking fifteen minutes, thirty minutes top and. MS Word or text pad or whatever, just writing up a few yeah. sentences for each item. Even for my online games, you know, we do uh, Knights of Rainsboro is Savage Worlds with the superhero compendium. I have a cheat sheet that is my powers. I also have a cheat sheet that are page numbers of specific things I might need to look up that the type player you're describing mm-hmm. would just ask the GM. The time and progression charts, the strength charts, the jump chart, all of those. I have those pages ready so I can quickly go look it up and see what I need to know number wise instead of expecting the GM to remember all that because the GM has too much to do to figure out if you can jump 10 feet or 15 feet. Amen. Now that I'm going, now that I'm all riled up, I can <laughs> probably do this for the next several hours, but we're going to stop this one here because I have to get it edited and released here at some point. But the- Idle hands, habitual masturbation, is that a problem at the table? Uh, it hasn't been yet. It would be <laughs> if at any point. Okay, I'm not Chris Hussey. If at any point in my game someone whipped it out, that would be it. Done. Okay. I need more information before I can decide on this. I, we, I was only kidding. I'm are, not. <laughs> no, are we talking male or female? Um, what is the makeup of the group in general? Okay, very quickly so, becoming a bonus episode. Is my wife sitting next to me at the uh, time? Because if it's female across the table, but my wife is next to me, that's a different answer than if it's female across the table and my wife is not sitting next to me. I have no comment. Right. So <laughs> more details. While Broder and Wayne work this out, I'm going to get you guys out of here before you have to experience this. So show notes for the link to Twitter. Chris Someone still- has to make up for neither Hussey or uh, Pat being no, here this no, week. No, really somebody doesn't. <laughs> So thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week and great games. You cussed multiple times this episode. Thank you guys for tuning in, and we will catch you next time. (laughs) This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2015. Listeners are free to use this show in any non-commercial endeavor, as long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the Pulp Gamer Media Network of Shows. 
You can find other great shows in this network at pulpgamer.com. <laughs>